Welcome to the teaching ministry of Magnolia's First. To learn more, visit m1bc.org. So we, we have been on a journey this past month, and we've been looking at kind of different scenes in the life of Jesus leading up to what we celebrated last week, the empty tomb. Uh, and uh, we're going to wrap up the series over these next two weeks. And if you weren't with us, Pastor Ed gave an incredible message about the resurrection and the empty tomb. And his big idea was that the resurrection changes everything. And that is such an incredible truth and such an incredible fact. And most of the time during the Easter season, we kind of just stop at that empty tomb and we don't talk about the events that follow up. And so over the next two weeks, that's what I'm going to do is I'm going to hopefully challenge you for this, from the scriptures about what the empty tomb means for our lives. And, and I don't know if uh, any of you in this room are like me, but I'm kind of a science geek, Right. And so as I was putting together this sermon, I was trying to kind of think how to illustrate uh, how incredible the events of the road to Emmaus are. And so I thought of a time machine, right? If I had a time machine, I would go back and be during in that conversation uh, on the road to Emmaus. And so this week I was kind of talking with some of the other staff on what are some other things that you would want to go visit. So uh, for me, I would have loved to have gone to the opening night of Star Wars and watched it with my dad, right? I I love Star Wars, and and me and my dad, we we, uh, have a lot in common as far as our science fiction disco. Um, Someone on staff said they would love to go to the Tower of Babel and just see how high that tower got before God separated all the languages and just kind of witness that utter chaos that probably ensued of everyone not being able to communicate with one another. Someone else said they would love to watch Neil Armstrong walk on the moon, that they're, you know, they're, they didn't get to see that. And so that would have been an incredible thing. Uh, someone else said they would love to see what took out the dinosaurs. Like, was it a comet? Like, was it a disease? Like, what's going on there? Another one for me, um, uh, I would have loved, because I'm a sports fan, to have been at the 1980 Winter Olympics and watched the U.S. men's hockey team beat Russia. That would have been incredible to experience, just the miracle on ice. And lastly, this one was Seth's, and this is hilarious. He would have loved to have watched Noah tell his wife that they had to build an ark. Like, honey, you got to build an ark. Uh, Do what now? (laughs) Building an ark? What's rain? What do you mean it's going to rain? There's never been rain before. And so I want you to think about that for a second. Are there events in human history that you would like to visit firsthand to kind of experience maybe what everyone else was experiencing? And for me, if I had a time machine, I would go to the road to Emmaus and just experience that conversation that Jesus had with his followers because it would have been such an incredible moment. Because to me, The road to Emmaus is one of the greatest sermons ever taught. I mean, it had everything. It had historical settings. It had history. It had facts. It had storytelling. It had conviction. It had life change. But most importantly, it had a risen Savior. It had Jesus. And so uh, what I want to do today is kind of tell you all what my big idea for the day is, is that everything is about Jesus, Everything in life is about Jesus. And sometimes we kind of forget that and we lose perspective. We lose sight of what's really important. And so everything is about Jesus. 
So I want to set the scene before we get to our text today. If you weren't with us last week, we kind of ended with uh, the women going to the tomb and they found the tomb empty and they actually had an encounter with angels that told them, hey, what are you doing looking for someone that's dead? He is risen. And then we see Peter run to the tomb to kind of figure it out for himself and he walks away kind of trying to figure it out. Like, okay, the tomb's empty, but I saw Jesus die with my own eyes. Like, what's, what's going on here? And so as we open up our scene today, we're a short distance away from the empty tomb on a walk from Jerusalem to Emmaus. So you can turn your Bibles or follow along on the screen. So Luke chapter 24, and we'll pick up in verse 13. That same day, two of Jesus's followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they were walking along, they were talking about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. You have to put yourself in the mental headspace of these two followers. They had been following Jesus for, an, uh, for maybe three plus years. They had just witnessed him die on a cross and be put in a tomb. They are probably having countless emotions Maybe they're depressed. Maybe they're sad. Maybe they're a little hopeful. There's there's all of this tension going on and they're walking to Emmaus and then suddenly this man just appears and they don't recognize that it's Jesus. Before we move on, uh, I, I want you to understand something. Jesus meets them in the middle of their confusion. And ultimately he's gonna tell them the truth about himself and open their eyes. But something so interesting happens is that God keeps them from recognizing that it's Jesus. I mean, they walked with this man for three years probably, and they didn't know who he was. But there's an implication there and a purpose for that, is the truth is, is that only God can open our eyes. Only God can open our eyes. We can cognitively know things about God, but only God can open our eyes and reveal himself to us. Let's jump to verse 17. It says, Jesus asking the followers, he asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped short, sadness written across their face. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all these things that have happened there these last few days. So Jesus, he meets these two men in the middle of their sadness and he doesn't leave them there. He engages with them. He ends up asking them questions. He's trying to find out what's going on while at the same time being Jesus and experiencing firsthand all that went on. Just try to wrap your mind around that. Verse 19 what things, Jesus asked, almost ironically. What are you, what are you talking about? Well, what, what happened? Tell me. Tell me what happened, Jesus asked. The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles, and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified them. Listen to this, verse 21. We had hoped that he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. 
See, I love Jesus's interaction with them. And I really do believe that Jesus had a sense of humor, right? There are so many times throughout Jesus's interactions with the disciples where he's like, hey, you guys are idiots. You're not getting it. Like, what's wrong with you? You don't understand. And he ironically asked, what Jesus? What, what do you mean? Who's this Jesus guy? So I, I believe that he had uh, just the sense of humor that he kind of used from time to time. And I'm kind of sarcastic. So I want to believe that Jesus was also sarcastic, but you know, that's just me. But this points to an incredible profound truth about Jesus. That he wanted these followers to tell him what they thought about Jesus and what Jesus had done. It, it almost reminds me of the moment when Jesus is asking his disciples, hey, what are people saying about me? And then he gets down to the point he's trying to make. What do you say about me? Whom do you say that I am? Then verse 21, it's just that there's, there's so many times during this story and all the different gospels that everyone's kind of saying, well, we hoped that he was the Messiah. We hoped that he was going to be the one that came to rescue Israel. And so these two men, as they're walking, they're sad because they had put their hopes in Jesus. And at that point, he hadn't been risen in their mind. They didn't know all the facts. They had heard speculation. And I believe that maybe they were losing hope. Maybe they were losing hope that Jesus wasn't who he said he was. Maybe some of you in this room, you're losing hope this morning. That there are things that you have heard about God and there's things that you, you uh, have expected of God or maybe you're holding on to something and it's not working out the way that you thought that it would and you're beginning to lose hope. What I would say to you is hold on. Hold on tight, hold on a little longer because last week we celebrated the empty tomb and we celebrated the victory that we have in Jesus. Hold on to that hope a little longer because here's what we know to be true. Jesus meets us in our hopelessness and he doesn't leave us there. Just like with these two men on the road to Emmaus, he met them right in the middle of their depression, their fear. And he doesn't leave them there. Verse 22, they're continuing to tell the story of what they've heard about Jesus. Then some women from our group of his followers were at the tomb early this morning. And they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing. And they had seen angels who told them that Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran out to sea. And sure enough, his body was gone just as the woman had said. You would think in this moment they would be celebrating. The tomb is empty. Jesus is alive, but that's not what happened. In fact, they're sad and they're confused. Continue in verse 25. And I just, I love Jesus so much for what he says here. Then Jesus said to them, you foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that, Messiah, that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of the Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. 
Isn't it amazing that these two followers, they literally had firsthand accounts and proof of the risen Savior and their eyes were still closed. They're literally walking on the road talking to Jesus and their eyes are still closed. But Jesus doesn't leave them there. In fact, he says, guys, okay, let's, let, let's, let's go back to the beginning here. And he goes back to the writings of Moses and walks them through all of the Old Testament saying, guess what, guys? It's all about Jesus. Everything you've heard since you were a little kid, it's all about Jesus. And that's why for me, if I had a time machine, I would go to this moment and be walking behind Jesus as, he, as he's with his own mouth teaching the scriptures and telling them all about Jesus. Look, this little thing right here, the Red Sea, that was about Jesus. Walls of Jericho, that was about Jesus. Providing manna in the desert, that was Jesus. Can I be honest with you all for a second? I think this is a safe place. Growing up, I did not like the Old Testament. Oh, you're a pastor. You can't say stuff like that. I, I know. Sorry, Pastor Ed. Um, yeah, I, I just thought it was a list of like rules and names and genealogies and random events that didn't really connect together or make much sense. And so I kind of found it boring, actually. But that completely changed for me my first year of Bible college because I had a professor that absolutely loved the Old Testament. And so what he did for our class is he walked us through what he called the shadows of Jesus and how every event in the Old Testament was foreshadowing the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And so for me, the Old Testament came alive and the Bible came alive to me for the first time ever. And I really believe that that's exactly what was happening to these two followers on the road to Emmaus. They were hearing from at the time, the person that they didn't know was Jesus, but was Jesus. Yeah, wrap your mind around that. But they're hearing from the risen Savior of all of the profound truths of the Old Testament. And I, be, I believe that their hearts began to stir. Their minds began to stir. Back to the scriptures, verse 28. It says, by this time, they were nearing Emmaus, the end of their journey. Jesus acted as if he were going on, but they begged him, stay the night with us since it's getting late. So he went home with them. And as they sat down to eat, he took the bread and blessed it, then broke it and gave it to them. Verse 31. Suddenly, their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And at that moment, he disappeared. What an incredible moment to be a part of. They had been walking with Jesus all day, hearing the profound truths of scripture. And they're sitting down to eat a meal with, with Jesus and he breaks bread and he gives it to him. Their eyes are opened and then he disappears. Like, whoa, wait, how, Tell us more. Like, what, what's going on here? You're the Savior. You're, you're alive. But then you're gone. And I believe in that moment, their hope and their confidence were fully restored. Because why? Jesus is alive. 
All that he had said would come true, came true. It's all true. This whole day of talking about the Old Testament, all of it has come true. All the prophecies have been fulfilled. But our story doesn't end there. Because what happens next is absolutely incredible. Let's close out our text in verse 32. Just listen to these words. They said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked to us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? And within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem. There, they found the 11 disciples and the others who had gathered with them who said, the Lord has risen. And he appeared to Peter. Did you catch what just happened? These two men had a firsthand account with the risen Savior, and their only response was to run and tell everyone they found. Their only response was to go and tell everyone, He is risen. He is risen. They met with the risen Savior, and their hearts were burning within them, and they were changed. The truth is, we cannot have an encounter with the risen Savior and not be changed. And when we're face to face with the Savior, our only response is to tell everyone we see. So what do I want you to do with this message today as we come to a close? I believe it comes down to you where you're sitting and me where I'm standing asking myself and you asking yourself two questions. Is my heart burning within me for the Lord? Is my heart on fire for the Lord? And are my eyes open to what God is doing around me? So we can talk about a lot of stuff, but if we don't answer those two questions, we can't get to Jesus' ascension next week. We have to do some work this week. And today. So I believe that our hearts burn within us when we remember what God has done. Because that is exactly what Jesus did with these two men on the road to Emmaus. He met them in their sadness and he reminded them of all that God had done, he reminded them of how the Old Testament is all about Jesus. It's easy for our passion and our fire for the Lord to dwindle. This world distracts us with so many things. And there's so many opportunities. There's so many responsibilities. There's so much that can grab our attention. And so if you're in here today and you're like, you know what? My, my passion for the Lord isn't really what it used to be. If that's you, I want to tell you that that's okay. But it's not okay to stay there. It's not okay to stay in that place. And if you want your fire to be reignited, remember what God has done in your life. I want to read real quick uh, 1 Corinthians 10.31. This is a verse for me that always kind of helps me recenter and refocus my mind. It says, so whatever, whatever you eat or drink, or sorry, sorry, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. 
this has been my life first. And I love how Paul clarifies things here. And just to give you a little bit of context, he's in a conversation with fellow believers and they're kind of having an argument over how to interact with non-believers and how to interact with one another. And he's kind of given, or at least kind of asked, hey, Paul, just give us a list of rules. What do we do here? How do we act with these people? And he doesn't answer that question. And in fact, he goes, look, guys, it doesn't matter. Whatever you're doing, do it for the glory of God. Whatever you're doing, do it for the glory of God. And he takes the focus off of our actions and our do's and our don'ts and all those things that we kind of put on ourselves and says, look, if you're doing whatever you're doing for the glory of God, you're doing the right thing. Which kind of leads us to a reason why our hearts are no longer on fire like they once were. Because maybe we begin to live our lives for the glory of me. Maybe we begin to make everything in our lives revolve around me, my happiness, my success, my career, my family, my kids. And if our hearts want to be on fire again, if we want to regain that passion that you once had, Christ follower, it's going to start with you asking a question of yourself again. Am I living for the glory of God or am I living for the glory of me? Secondly, we, we, we must have God's perspective and see what he is doing around us. Many people kind of think that God is just in heaven waiting to act until you get on board. When in reality, he's already doing stuff all around you and wondering why you're not getting on board with him. So we have to have God's perspective because there was so much more going on on the road to Emmaus walk. There was so much more going on and there was there, the disciple, or sorry, the followers' eyes were closed and they couldn't see the whole picture. They couldn't understand that all that Jesus was talking about was fulfilled right before their eyes. So I want you to imagine for a second on this back wall, there is a massive picture, a massive painting back there. And someone blindfolds you in the hallway and walks you right up to it and puts your nose on the wall and removes the blindfold. Are you going to be able to describe the picture to me? No, because you have no perspective. But as you begin to take a few steps back and you see the whole picture, then you'll be able to understand that is precisely what God is doing in your life. He is painting a masterpiece all around you and he is active and engaged in everyone around you and he is wanting you to jump on board. He's wanting you to join him in what he's doing. Maybe you've become too distracted. Maybe you've become too busy or have too many responsibilities. There's a, there's a song by Brandon Heath that I really love called Give Me Your Eyes. And um, I wanna read these lyrics to you from one of the sections of the song. And uh, I'm not gonna sing because that's not a gift of mine. Um, someone sitting over there is like, oh yeah, yeah, you don't need to be singing. This is what it says. Give me your eyes for just one second. Give me your eyes so I can see everything that I keep missing. 
Give me your love for humanity. Give me your arms for the brokenhearted. Give me, or for the ones that are far beyond my reach. Give me your heart for the ones forgotten. These lyrics are so powerful. And God is at work all the way around you. He's at work in your family. He's at work in your schools. He's at work at your work, where you go shopping, where you do your fun activities with your family on the weekends, the place you go get coffee. He is at work. Maybe it's time for you to say, God, give me your eyes to see what you're doing so that I can get involved. As we close, I want to give you two challenges to help you take the next steps in your faith journey. Because each one of us, we're on a journey here. We're, we're, we're all taking various steps and there's various things that we have to do to grow closer to Christ. So if you're a Christ follower in this room today, what I want you to do is to do a heat check. Do a heat check on your heart and ask yourself, is my heart burning for the Lord? Is my heart burning within me for the Lord? And if your answer is no, that's okay. But don't leave here today until you do some work with God. It's time to make the hard choices. It's time to be honest with ourselves and say, you know what? I come here every Sunday and I act like my heart is on fire for the Lord. And I raise my hands when the worship song and I look around and see everyone else doing the Christian thing. And I want to be there with them, but my heart is not on fire like it used to be then for you, take some time during this last song and say, God, light my heart on fire for you once again. Remind me of what you've already done in my life. Show me where I need to change. Show me what parts of my heart have become hardened to you. And lastly, this week, as you're going about your week, Ask God to open my eyes to see what he is doing around me. Then join him. Join him. See, when we forget that everything is about Jesus, we lose perspective. We forget that we're here for a purpose. And next week we'll wrap up this series and we'll talk about the Great Commission and we'll talk about missional living and being a witness for Christ and evangelists and all those incredible things. But before we get to that scene, we need to do some work today. We need to do some work today. So during this last song, please use that time to do a heat check. Be honest with yourself and say, you know what? My heart is not on fire for the Lord anymore. My passion isn't on fire anymore. And I want to change that. My perspective is not what God wants it to be. And I, I'm missing things all around me. I'm missing opportunities. And I want that to change. Maybe for some of you in here or listening online, you've never taken that first step. And you've yet to become a Christ follower. And as I was talking, you, your heart was kind of burning within you. And you, this kind of weird thing started happening. You're like, I don't know what's happening right now, but I need to talk to someone today. Because I want to accept Christ. I want him to be my Lord and Savior, but I don't know how. If that is you today, please come forward. 
come to the hospitality room afterwards and we'll have someone talk with you through that. Let's remember, guys, everything is about Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much just for this opportunity to come before you. God, and I, I lay this message down at your feet and I pray that your Holy Spirit would move in ways that only your Holy Spirit can. And that we would be bold enough to say, my heart is not on fire for you and I want that to change. We love you, Lord, and we pray that your spirit would move during this last song. Your sons, let me pray. Amen.